is the new John Girardi Show on Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Gavin Newsom is almost certainly gearing himself up to run for president. He is going to cruise to an easy victory in his re-election bid this November. He won his initial election in 2018 with a commanding majority over 60-40. He survived his recall challenge again in a commanding majority, 60-40, over 60-40. It's more like 62 to 38 or something like that. He's the governor of the most populous state in the union. It's a state with half the population and yet a larger economy than Germany. Any, I guess, electorally successful anyway, governor of California is always going to be in the running for the presidency. So he and he's clearly setting himself up that way. He's running ads in Florida. He's going on trips to places outside of California. He's his messaging on Twitter and in other venues is more focused on Ron DeSantis and various Republican governors than it is on California issues. He's clearly operating with an eye towards the national stage. He's no longer as concerned with California. Now, does he have a snowball's chance in hell on the national stage? I don't think he does. I think he I think he is maybe slightly better than Kamala Harris, but not by a lot. I think he and Kamala Harris have just been living on easy street because they've been California politicians supported by the ultimate of insider political support, if you will, which is the Willie Brown Magic Circle and the billionaire donors who constitute the Willie Brown Magic Circle. California is not really a campaign battleground that's focused on or premised on going to the state fair, rubbing shoulders with the electorate, getting news clips of yourself on the local news, talking to people. That's not really how it works. California politics is television advertising. You rarely get... How many of you can say this? How many of you have watched Gavin Newsom give a speech? How many of you know what his voice really sounds like? It's probably not a lot. Like, I'm a pretty darn intense political observer, and I barely know what he sounds like. I I barely know what Newsom sounds like enough that I I don't know that I could imitate him. And yet, when I do actually hear his voice and, (laughs) and hear him interacting, he makes my skin crawl. And, and it's not I'm not saying that in the sense that every single Democrat makes my skin crawl. I, I don't think that I don't think Pete Buttigieg makes my skin crawl in that way. I don't like Pete Buttigieg, but he doesn't necessarily make my I don't have visceral. You know, I, have, I don't have visceral distrust of him. Newsom does. So anyway, long story short, 
I don't know that Newsom is going to be very successful trying to go onto this national stage. But he clearly is going onto this national stage. I think the word is out that Joe Biden is too old to run in 2024. I think something happened over the last week where liberals were mad at the what they perceived to be the lack of response from the White House to the overturning of Dobbs. Uh, all of a sudden, you get this big New York Times story about how Joe Biden is really old and how it is hindering things at the White House, how he barely works nights or weekends, how he shuffles when he walks. People are afraid he's going to trip over a wire. Like, this, this big, long expose... All the stuff that we conservatives have been seeing since 2020. Like, this is not new. All right. He, he's been slurring his speech, having vote, you know, gaffes when he talks. Last week, he had a press conference talking about abortion stuff where he, you know, he, he genuinely was a Ron Burgundy-esque teleprompter fail where he's reading the teleprompter and at one point, it says, it's like giving him notes. It says, he says something. It says, end of quote, repeat the line. So it says on the teleprompter, end of quote, and then repeat the line, giving him the direction of repeat that line that you just said. And he just reads through it as if that's part of what he's supposed to read. So it's just like in Anchorman where when Ron Burgundy said, go leap yourself San Diego because someone put it on the teleprompter and they yell, Dang it! Who put that on the teleprompter? Whatever you put on that teleprompter, he will read. That's exactly what's happening here. Anyway, the media has finally decided it's okay to notice that Joe Biden's really old and doddering. And I think that's given the signal that, all right, we're allowed to look out. We're allowed to look out for someone else for 2024. Somehow they're going to convince him, They're going to try to convince him anyway not to run in 2024. Democrats smell blood in the water and they're starting to circle in. And you can see some people already starting to hype up Pete Buttigieg. You can see some people starting to hype up Gavin Newsom, etc. Now, here's Newsom's problem. He has a lot of problems, frankly. One is that one of his signature things that he ran on in 2018, he has not really done, which is single-payer health care in California. Universal single-payer health care in California. So what is single-payer health care? Let me just define the term. I I realize not everyone actually understands what single-payer health care is. In the world of health insurance, you refer to insurance companies that pay to whom you pay a premium and certain deductibles and things like that, and who thereby in turn cover the costs of your medical care, you refer to insurance companies as payers. Okay, that's sort of the shorthand. Insurance companies are the payers. Doctors are the providers. Insurance companies are the payers. Right now, we have an open insurance market with multiple different payers. Blue Cross Blue Shield, here's Kaiser, here's uh, Aetna, here's this, here's that, here's Medi-Cal, okay, which is a state-funded, a federal and state-funded health insurance program. It's it's the Medicaid program and California's version of the federal Medicaid program called Medi-Cal. You have Medi-Cal, 
You have Medicare, which is the federal program for seniors. So we have multiple payers in the insurance market. The idea behind single-payer healthcare is precisely that. Instead of multiple payers, you have one single payer who covers everybody, insures everybody. This is the, and it's run by the government. This is the vision for healthcare, the kind of end goal that sort of Obama sort of wanted, and then we ultimately wound up with a big compromise that is Obamacare. That's what Hillary wanted with Hillary Care back in the 90s, which was thoroughly rejected then. It's the United Kingdom model with their National Health Service. They have one payer who pays one healthcare system that controls the entire healthcare market in the UK, right? So Gavin Newsom had talked a big game in 2018 about doing a single payer system for California. And he talked about it very explicitly as if this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to do. I'm running on this. I'm staking my reputation on this. He said stuff in 2018 like politicians always, you know, they always kick the can down the road. They always say now's not the time, that the time's not right now. Well, I say the time's right now. Like he he was very big and bold talking about how he was going to get single payer done. And he absolutely positively has not done it. Absolutely positively has not done it in spite of the fact that he's had at least two-thirds majorities in both houses of the state legislature for the entire time he has been in office. Actually, I think he's had three-quarters majorities for the entire time he's been in office. He has also had, by the way, more power than any governor ever because of all the emergency COVID powers he has received. So what has he done? Well, he's, ex- he's done various degrees of medical expansion, which is not the same as a single-payer healthcare system. By the way, as recently as this year, this year, they had a bill in the state legislature to institute a single-payer healthcare system, and who was conspicuously dead silent about it, refused to comment on it, refused to express any kind of support for it? Gavin Newsom. The bill died on the vine in the midst of the legislative process. The author withdrew it before it could have a vote on the floor of the state assembly, in spite of the fact that the Speaker of the Assembly, Anthony Rendon, really, really wanted there to be a vote on it. Anthony Rendon. He wanted a vote on this, and the author of the bill withdrew it. Why? Probably because of the incredibly chilly reception the bill was getting from the governor's office. So what has Newsom done? Well, he's just expanded Medi-Cal access. That's all he's done. It's expanding Medi-Cal access. It's expanding Medi-Cal access. The governor's... It, it, so we have this... He's now expanding Medi-Cal access to undocumented immigrants. And by 2024, that'll be the last group of undocumented immigrants who will have access to Medi-Cal. So... Newsom's kind of trying to declare victory, He's saying, well, I've got I've achieved universal health care coverage. That's not what you promised. 
What you promised was a single-payer healthcare system, and you've had the opportunity to do it, and you absolutely have not done it. That, that's the other thing. He hasn't even fought for it. He hasn't even really tried to push it. Once he got into office, he has expended none of his political capital on this. So I think a very legitimate question to ask Gavin Newsom coming into 2022 or coming into 2024 is, well, why should, you know, why should anyone trust you? Your signature thing that you ran on, not only have you not accomplished, you haven't even tried for it, really. Like, you haven't even pushed. You've done everything else. You've done the precise thing you criticized other politicians for doing in 2018, which is kicking the can of single-payer health care down the road. Now, I'm not even saying this as anyone who supports single-payer health care necessarily. Yet, I mean, I can't help but notice that he's been totally out to lunch, not actually trying to achieve the one of the major things he was pushing. Now, when we return, we'll have more thoughts on Gavin Newsom on the national stage. I'll repeat my thesis about why I think he is not even going to be close to being the Democrat nominee. Next on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show. Power Talk 96.7 AM 1400 and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk, 96.7 at AM 1400. Let's talk through the idea of Gavin Newsom as the Democrat nominee in 2024 and why I think he would get crushed. I think Trump would crush him. I think that Ron DeSantis would crush him. I I don't think he's got a snowball's chance in hell. Let me tell you why. And, And I don't know that Gavin Newsom would even prevail in a 2024 primary challenge. I think Joe Biden, if he decided to stay in, would absolutely crush Gavin Newsom. As old and doddering as Joe Biden is, I 100% think he would crush Gavin Newsom. I think it would be a pretty even fight between Newsom and Kamala Harris. Why? Because largely I think they're the same person. Newsom and Harris are part, their, their political success is due to the exact same things. The Willie Brown magic circle, the billionaire support that they get from that political powerhouse, okay, the billionaire old money donors from San Francisco, the Silicon Valley billionaires, that's what keeps them, that's what has gotten them to where they are in spite of the fact that they have aspects of their personality that are massively massively unappealing. Kamala Harris is so unlikable. I mean, let's all recall. Kamala Harris got elected to the U.S. Senate in 2016. And I believe it was in 2016. And everyone was, she had all these vibes off of her. Everyone was trying to crown her. This is like Barack Obama being elected to the Senate in 2004 in Illinois. She's the future of the Democrat Party. She's young. She's ambitious. She's successful. You know, she's from a major state like California. She's 
female, half African American, half uh, Indian American. Oh, she's she's ready to go. She's the next thing. And she was she comes into the Democrat primary elections for the 2020 primary with all this buzz and all this hype. And what do people see? Well, they see a terrible politician. They see someone getting absolutely roasted and skewered during the primary debates. There's a famous exchange where Tulsi Gabbard just wrecked Kamala Harris during one of the debates, just roasted her alive for being a total flip-flopping hypocrite when it comes to criminal justice issues. And Kamala Harris was all of a sudden acting like, oh, defund the police, defund the police. In spite of the fact she had been attorney general and been prosecuting people for all kinds of drug possession crimes, which in Democrat parlance is, in, in the new Democrat party is inexcusable. So she, she once she actually had to be in front of voters talking, she was a train wreck. She somehow still gets picked to be vice president. I I 100% believe this. It was because the donors insisted on her. Biden had no reason to pick her. He had never worked with her. He had no reason even to like her. She had called him a racist to his face during the Democrat primary debates. And yet he picks her. Why? Well, he needed a, a he needed a a minority woman on the ticket. There were plenty of minority women that Joe Biden could have picked. That he liked better, that he trusted better. Women like Susan Rice or others, like he had people he had worked with in the Senate, people he had worked with during the Obama administration, and he picks her. Why? Because she's got the backing of the California billionaire donors who really drive the bus in the Democrat Party. But that's the thing. When you're a politician, when you're a Democrat politician in California who has that much financial support, the kind of Willie Brown full weight of that support behind you. You don't have to appear in front of voters very much. It's all sorted out for you, first off, in the internal dynamics between the Democrats, because they're backing you. Everyone else can back off because the Democratic Party is powerful enough to actually convince people not to run. That's something the Republican Party doesn't have the power to convince loser candidates not to run for governor or senator. Okay, we don't have the we don't have the carrots to bribe people out of running, and we don't have the stick to threaten people out of running. The California Democratic Party has both. Their donors, their fundraisers have both. So Kamala Harris gets shepherded in to being a U.S. senator. And the way campaigning in California works, how many of you listening can, could have told me before Kamala Harris became vice president what Kamala Harris's voice sounded like? Not me. I didn't really know anything about her until she ran for president. She was my senator. How many of you listening here could actually tell me what Gavin Newsom's voice sounds like? Probably not very many of you. Probably the most you've heard is like a little individual clip. I've barely listened to Gavin Newsom. Why? Because in California, campaigning is centered around television ads. That's the center of campaigning in California, particularly on a statewide level. It's TV ads where you can craft and shape and, you know, keep someone insulated from someone who's a terrible public speaker, which is Kamala Harris. And guess what? All these weaknesses about Kamala Harris, that she's just been shepherd, she was just shepherded into power in spite of the fact that she's a terrible politician and terrible speaker and hugely unlikable. A lot of that applies to Gavin Newsom. You listen to him speak 
and your skin crawls. Here he is up there looking like looking like Pat Riley with his hair slicked back wearing a $5,000 suit. He never doesn't wear an outfit. He, he never wears an outfit that costs less than $1,000. I don't know that I've ever seen him in an outfit that costs, you know, he's, he's never wearing an outfit that costs $100 total. He's always dressed to the absolute nines in super expensive clothes. He's always got product in his hair. His teeth have veneers on them. He looks sleazy. When he talks, he sounds so insincere. He has all these little, like, well, you know, we just, uh, like, he has these, these like, ticks when he talks that are the kinds of things that when you're pretending to be sincere, you, you do. Furthermore, he's been running for office in California where little things like sleeping with your campaign manager can get kind of hushed up and not talked about all the time in the media. For what a sleazeball you are. When you have the Willie Brown money behind you and the media sort of being compliant, those things don't tend to come up all the time. Well, try to put Gavin Newsom on a national stage and see what happens. Because let me tell you something. A sleazy white guy who has his hair slicked back and cheated on his wife, Saturday Night Live will make fun of him. Okay, like in a Democratic primary scenario, that's a guy that Saturday Night Live would love to make fun of. Okay, they won't make fun of him when he's the nominee, but in the primary, they can afford it. Like the the idea that he is going to stand like. There is not a single voter in Pennsylvania who would vote for Gavin Newsom over Joe Biden. There's not a single primary voter in South Carolina who's going to vote for Gavin Newsom over Joe Biden. There's not a single... Can you imagine him at the Iowa caucuses? Can you imagine anyone in the state of Iowa (laughs) wanting to hang around Gavin Newsom who looks like he's never seen dirt in his life other than at his wine country vineyard? Do you think someone from Iowa would ever vote for someone like Gavin Newsom. No! They'd like Amy Klobuchar better. They'd like Pete, you know, Midwestern Pete Buttigieg better. They'd like, in spite of the fact that Pete Buttigieg is basically a CIA operative, they'd like anybody else more, they'd like Joe Biden far more than they'd like Gavin Newsom. So, I hear these national figures being, like, scared of Gavin Newsom. Oh, man, we got to take this challenge from Gavin Newsom seriously. He could really shake up. He's bit. But let's also just note, by the way, it's not like California is doing great. We have horrible inequality problems, horrible problems with health care provision, horrible problems with all kinds of housing issues, just housing issues, poverty issues, homelessness issues, none of which he's really addressed. Our COVID stretch was not exactly a ringing success. Gavin Newsom is never going to be the president of the United States of America. I doubt he will ever even be the nominee. All right, when we return, how Joe Biden's age finally has become acceptable, an acceptable thing to talk about next on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. 
for years from about 2019 until like five minutes ago. Talking about Joe Biden being old was basically the sole preserve of conservative media. Talk radio, Fox News, pretty much just ended at Fox News. CNN would never in a billion years run a story about Biden's age or fitness for office or mental acuity or anything like that. MSNBC would never dare. ABC News, CBS News, NBC News, none of them would ever dare to talk about it. They wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. New York Times would. Nobody would. In fact, quite the opposite. They would do these mental gymnastics to try to pretend like it wasn't an issue. And all of us on the right were like, are are we taking crazy pills here? This guy is really, really old. Like, not a little old, really old. Let's, Let's not forget, like, every single day, Joe Biden sets the record anew for oldest president in American history. Literally every day. Joe Biden is 79. Bill Clinton is 75. Bill Clinton, who was president, who was elected 30 years ago, is four years younger than Joe Biden. Biden is really, really old. Not a little old. Really, really old. Every second, he sets the record anew. And that's okay. It's okay to be old, but you can't expect those of us who are, you know, governed by this man to say, to not notice, like, all right, he's reading stuff wrong on the teleprompter. He shuffles around when he walks. He's constantly squinting. He slurs his speech. He has these verbal gaffes all the time, which, frankly, Joe Biden's been doing that for a long time. And that's the only thing that (laughs) the only thing that Democrats have to sort of defend him and say, well, he's been saying dumb crap for, for 30 years. <laughs> like, this, may, we, we forget. All right, I am 34 years old. I was born in September of 1987. I, I remember this. There is a clip of Johnny Carson making fun of Joe Biden in 1987 when Biden was in the pri- he was running for Democrat president in the primaries for the 1988 presidential election, and Biden got busted because he was plagiarizing some speeches, and Carson was making fun of him for it. And it was in 1987. It was like a month after I was born that Johnny Carson was doing that. And I'm not young. I'm 34 years old. Like, like so. We we forget he he is extraordinarily old to be president of the United States. But you couldn't talk about it. You were not allowed like and, and when people did talk about it, they would get these broadsides from okay, so Chris Saliza is this talking head for CNN and he writes for CNN.com. And he referred he referred to Republicans talking about Biden's age. This was in August of 2021. Now, let's recall the kinds of stuff that was happening in August of 2021. We had the completely disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal where it was Biden's decisions. 
Biden's decisions were the key factors in why the Afghanistan withdrawal was so disastrous. Okay, the the idea of we had that one air base that we got rid of first and then we were trying to get everyone out of Kabul airport. That was a disaster. Uh, He was withdrawing people too quickly against the advice of his military advisors. It, It was a complete disaster. And we had been seeing Biden for throughout the 2020 campaign and afterwards. This was not anything new. He was slurring his speech. He shuffles when he walks. He squints when he walks. He's clearly like he if Obama is like the greatest teleprompter reader of all time. The most natural looking speaker teleprompter reader of all time. Biden is the opposite. He's clearly just standing there squinting, looking at a teleprompter and reading stuff off teleprompter. Anyway. Chris Eliza from CNN referred to Republicans in August of 2021, less than a year ago, commenting on Biden's age. He said, this is the sort of gross, lowest common denominator politics that drive people away from public life. If Republicans have some sort of proof that Biden is declining, they should bring it forward. If they don't, they should stop doing what they're doing immediately. Some kind of proof. Just watch the man. That was less than a year ago. And that was, you know, crystallism from CNN giving what I think was very much, because that's the only kinds of opinions crystallism can give, the consensus media viewpoint. Well, here we are, July, uh, July 11th, 2022. This is Peter Baker in the New York Times this weekend. The reality is that managing the schedule of the oldest president in American history presents distinct challenges. And as Mr. Biden insists he plans to run for a second term, his age has increasingly become an uncomfortable issue for him, his team and his party. More than a dozen current and former senior officials and advisors uniformly reported that Mr. Biden remained intellectually engaged, asking smart questions at meetings, grilling aides on points of dispute, calling them late at night, picking out that weak point on page 14 of a memo and rewriting speeches like his abortion remarks on Friday right up until the last minute. But, (laughs) but, so here's all the spin. Oh no, he's still super sharp, but they acknowledged Mr. Biden looks older than just a few years ago. (laughs) He looks looks about as old as he looked about a year ago. I'll, I'll tell you that much. A political liability that cannot be solved by traditional White House stratagems like staff shakeups, or new communications plans. His energy level, while impressive for a man of his age, is not what it was. And some aides quietly watch out for him. He often shuffles when he walks, and aides worry he will trip on a wire. He stumbles over words during public events, and they hold their breath to see if he makes it to the end without a gaffe. Although White House officials insist they make no special accommodations the way Reagan's team did. So here, here's the shot at Reagan that, oh, they had to make all these special accommodations for Reagan at the end because he was so old. Ronald Reagan was 10 years younger than Joe Biden when he was president. By the way, watch how this paragraph turns. Although White House officials insist they make no special accommodations the way Reagan's team did, privately, they try to guard Mr. Biden's weekends in Delaware as much as possible. Well, that's kind of a special accommodation. Most presidents don't go to their vacation home like almost every weekend. He is generally a five or five and a half day a week president. (laughs) Yeah, that's a special accommodation for a president of the United States. Presidents of the United States are not five or five and a half a day a week, you know, workers. 
although he is called at any hour, regardless of the day, as needed. Oh, yeah, that, well, that's common of every single president. This, that's not, that's the norm. He stays out of public view at night and has taken part in fewer than half as many news conferences or interviews as recent predecessors. Again, these are all really special accommodations for a president. So what happened? Like his and by the way, the media is going to start pretending like this is a new phenomenon. Like, oh, well, all of a sudden, you know, uh, Biden's age is is becoming a concern. It has been a concern forever. Remember during the campaign where he would like stop campaigning for the day at like nine o'clock in the morning? Like it, it was astounding. Now, here's the thing. If they're letting on this much, if the media is getting this much out, you know that under the surface it's actually way worse than that. Okay. This is a this is a thing I hate about the Vatican. So every pope is doing great, is super vibrant and doing great and healthy as a horse and ready to go until the minute he dies. Then all of a sudden, oh yes, he was suffering from horrible cancer. This, this, this. Like, like the, and maybe it's just a thing you do when you're protective of your boss is that you don't want to admit to all the health problems and struggles that someone's facing. Sandra, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was doing great. Oh, she's doing that, and then oh, she died of metastasizing cancer. Was clearly doing terribly. Like the the Supreme Court spokespeople were clearly putting a very sunshiny face on what was obviously Ruth Bader Ginsburg's very serious terminal condition. This happens with popes. It happens with Supreme Court justices. I am sure it is happening with this president. So Democrats are now allowing this to be acceptable political conversation. Okay, a big New York Times story. It, it is allowed to be acceptable conversation. And why? Because they know they're going to get their rear ends handed to them this November. Okay, let's understand this. One of the things that's used during off-year elections to to judge things is called the generic ballot. Okay, so when you don't have a single national election going on, like the presidency, you just have a bunch of individual local elections for the midterm. Well, how do you judge, like, the view of the country? Well, you look at the generic ballot, which is basically you poll a sample, a cross-section of the American people more generally, and you ask them, in general, without looking at specific candidates, would you rather vote Republican or rather vote Democrat? For hypothetical Republican versus, you know, standard-issue Republican versus standard-issue Democrat, cardboard box with an R on it versus cardboard box with a D on it. Among likely voters... The generic Republican is winning by like eight points. That's astounding. The generic Republican, usually even if just because of the way that redistricting has happened over the last 20 years and because Republicans have controlled so many state legislatures, if the generic Republican is losing by two, it's going to be a good election for Republicans. OK, usually the, the d- generic Democrat polls ahead of the generic Republican, all things being equal. It kind of makes sense, like the way that things are set up with state governments, you know, both George W. Bush and Donald Trump won elections in which they didn't get a majority of the popular vote. 
Like, it, it makes sense. Republicans are winning by plus eight among likely voters. This election is going to be a bloodbath for the Democrats. And they realize Biden's age is not going to get better in 2020, by 2024. It's going to be a really tall order to ask Americans to elect a guy who at the, you know, in 2028, if, if for, when his hypothetical second term is over, Biden's going to be 86. Can you really expect people to vote for that? Especially if he's going up against Ron DeSantis. I mean, that, that's the that's the thing. I think Democrats are now like before they were thinking, all right, Biden is a unifying force within the Democrats. He can get the big city liberals to vote for him who like money. He can get Midwestern. He can get crossover voters to vote for him because he's homey and homely. Pennsylvania voters like him. But now they're realizing we need to abandon ship. When we return, a quick interesting development in the January 6th hearings when we return on The John Girardi Show. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk 96.7 and AM 1400. Going to leave you with a quick, interesting thing I noticed from the January 6th proceedings. I'm not going to call them hearings because usually in a hearing you get both sides of an issue and both sides, the Republicans and the Democrats, get to ask questions. And that's not happening here. It's a single narrative by one side. And that's one of the problems here. So we had this testimony from Cassidy Hutchinson, who was an aide to Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, where she said some stuff that could be viewed as probative, damaging to Donald Trump. I think could be used as part of an indictment against Donald Trump. I'm not saying it sh- he should be indicted. I'm saying that's what will happen. I think that's what Democrats will use to pressure the Department of Justice to try to bring an indictment against the president. I'm not saying they should. In fact, I don't think they should. However, I think that's what will happen. Okay, so in case anyone says, John wants to, oh, Girardi, you want Trump to be indicted for January 6th? I'm not saying that. I'm saying I think that's what's going to happen. I'm predicting They brought in Pat Cipollone, who was one of President Trump's lawyers. He was White House counsel, who was party to a lot of the things Hutchinson said that have been disputed. And they didn't ask him about stuff she said. That's insane. If her testimony is going to be so important in developing the picture of whether President Trump was saying things that indicated he wanted a violent insurrection at the Capitol. You have to test what she said against Cipollone's recollection of it. If he's there, he gave a deposition to the committee that wasn't in front of the cameras. You have to ask him that, but they're not. Why? Because this isn't a real hearing. This is a, a fishing expedition to get enough evidence to get an indictment against Trump. That'll do it for John Girardi Show. See you next time on Power Talk. The John Girardi Show, Power Talk, 96.7, AM 1400, and the iHeartRadio app.